Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. This is the sixth segment in this unfolding series on grace reigning through righteousness. We're teaching you practical righteousness. As Sean said, the gift of righteousness is given to you at when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you are becoming the righteousness of God in Christ. Kinomai is the Greek, is to progressively come into a state of existence you're becoming like your God who is righteous in a practical sense over a period of time. Positionally, because you have received Christ, not by your good works, He's given you the gift of righteousness. Now that you have that gift, listen carefully, if in the order of things, Romans says it like this, you've received grace and the gift by the grace. When grace came, it gave you a gift by it. The gift by the grace is called the gift of righteousness. So what produced the righteousness is grace. Repeat after me, grace produces righteousness. You could not earn or seek to be righteous on your own. You had to have an encounter with the grace of God. And your initial encounter was it unearned, nothing you could do to come in right standing with God or to be compliant with the eternal um, predetermined standard of God for human life because that is what righteousness is you could not do it God had to pay the price for you in sending his son Jesus you received him you got the gift of righteousness that grace produced grace produced it now that it's there listen you must actualize it or practice it behaviorally and in your thoughts in life and when you do that behaviorally you're doing the good works to which you are ordained, Ephesians says, that you should walk in, you're now actualizing in a practical sense the imputed, listen to terminology, imputed righteousness changes your state from a son of the devil to a son of God. Everyone say imputed. It was given to you and you are justified. That's the doctrine of justification. Now that you are saved, you must walk right, behave right. And I'm saying... When you do the right thing, it too will be prompted by the grace of God. You have to engage grace to obey God, to practice righteousness. And then, Romans says this, He has given us the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that we might reign in life. That's Romans 5.17, Luke. Abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Everyone say reign in life. Right? I love these terms, reign in life because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. 5.21, however, says, drop down to verse 21. 5.21, however, says the following, that grace would reign through righteousness. So the concept is this. Grace and the gift of righteousness is necessary to reign in life. Two things you must need to reign in life, an abundance of grace and righteousness. The gift of righteousness starts you off on the program. But now, 
grace itself to really grow because the key is grace. What you need is more grace. Grace is God's ability, God's enabling power working in and through you. You need more grace. But the grace of God needs a context in which to function and operate well from. It's called righteousness. Listen carefully. It's called righteousness. So grace does not require what it's not prepared to produce. It produces righteousness. It will come and couch or sit in righteousness for it to find its fullest expression. Therefore, the Son of God who has been made righteous because of his belief in Jesus must now do the right thing and begin to express it practically in his life to, to attract to himself more grace that causes him to rule and reign in life. You are not ruling and reigning in life until you allow the grace of God to rule in practical righteousness in your life. Right? No one is ruling and reigning. And sometimes you wonder why no breakthrough. Why struggle? Why the cul-de-sac? Why the wall I'm hitting? I'm suggesting perhaps there's no ruling in life because you haven't allowed grace to rule in your righteousness in a practical way. Okay? And practice makes perfect. They say not so. Seek to do the right thing. Uh, in a few weeks' time, I will talk about the pursuit of righteousness where we chase after it as our ultimate goal in life. Amen? Who's going to reign in life? Yeah, we, want to, we all do. It's our lot. It's success in the world. It's what we are after. And I'm thinking, or rather, I'm, 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 a, I'm beginning to um, experience in my own, own life the whole idea of rulership. We will deal with kingship and grace in a special study in one of the Sundays. But grace's whole intent is that it rules and reigns. But it's not ruling and reigning in you in life until it rules and reigns in the practical righteousness of your life. It needs a context. It needs a conduit. It needs to sit well somewhere. And it's called righteousness. So then, whenever you compromise that righteousness... Through disobedience, guess what? You're giving grace no context in which to work. If you disobey God and live a sinful life, carnal life, you're giving grace no opportunity or context in which to express itself in a very practical way. Amen? It's very important you provide grace what it needs. Righteousness. But I said, if grace needs righteousness, it doesn't leave it entirely up to you to attain it. That's how it started you off in Christ, gave you it as a gift. Now that you must practice it to do the right thing to which grace will further be attracted, you need the grace of God to obey. Okay? So, last week, let me just rehearse some scriptures. Oh, by the way, let me give you two concepts that you should write down. I got this from Dr. Segi in one of his teachings, actually. He said there is what he called saving grace and then what he called dominion grace. If you want the scriptures, saving grace is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved. Everyone say, by grace you are saved. Right? That's unearned, unmerited favor. Nothing you could do. Your works couldn't save you. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is saving grace. But the other concept that we are now more interested in, because most of us here are saved, 90% of us here are saved, right? Now we want to... The other concept is found in Ephesians 5.17, which says, if we receive the abundance of grace and what? 
the gift of righteousness, we will reign in life. So grace causes you to rule and to have dominion. So the one, one concept is saving grace and the other concept is dominion grace. Uh, I heard some preachers call it ruling grace. I heard Pastor Tryon reference it as reigning grace, all meaning the same thing. What do you need to be successful in life? Everyone say grace. Grace will cause me to rule, but grace needs its partner. Its partner. He's not going into the ruling game. Grace is. It's not going in without its partner. He needs righteousness. Right? So in your life, you've got to make sure, practically, outwardly, I, I'm what is righteousness? We said it's, it's God's pre-approved, eternal design for how all humans should live on the earth. It's a pre-approved standard or template, right? It's a standard that God has for marriage, standard that God has for how you manage your finances, standard for God has for how you relate to your brothers, standard for God has in the workplace. In Nakala, uh, Fiona's dad, who owns the business used there, asked me to speak to his management staff. This was our last day. My last day, which was when? Thursday. I preached for six meetings, one after the other, literally. Right? We started at 6 a.m. While you're sleeping, I'm preaching, brethren. <laughs> you're up at 5, first meeting, 6, devotions, 6 to 7. No break. Everyone is dismissed. Management staff, stay away. Stay behind. And Les, Uncle Les asked me to speak to the management staff regarding righteousness in the workplace. Right? So I pulled out Ephesians and Colossians. It tells you how an employer must treat employees. It tells you how employees must relate to employers. The Bible has got everything to say about everything. We must do a segment one day. Proper attitudes, protocols of righteousness in the workplace. In marriage, there's God has, God has a mind about everything in life. Do you know the Bible has the answer for every department in life? God has standards. It's called righteousness. Amen. Now, what we are, what my heart is sore of and pained is to see the doctrine of grace being turned into licentiousness. In grace is mercy. I believe, although the two concepts are distinct, I believe mercy is the first expression of grace. Right? Mercy is the first outcome or expression of grace when God is merciful to you as a sinner. But two, in the rest of your life, you'll always need the mercy of God. And in Lamentation says His mercies are new every morning. Why did Paul, to a mature son like Timothy and Titus, say, not just grace and peace, to every other church, Paul said, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But if you read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus, those two sons, he said this when he opens the letter. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What blessing did he give to the household of Onesophorus? He said, Onesophorus who sought him out, he said, may the Lord be merciful to the household of Onesophorus. Okay? So we will always need these things. But there's a move where they say, well, God is merciful and gracious. Once I'm saved, I'm always saved. 
So I can receive the grace of God and I can do what I want. Yes, God has standards, designs, principles for every department of life. But I choose my own inventions. Ecclesiastes 7.29, remember? I'll choose my own schemes, although God has made every man upright. Yes, He has. God has made every man upright. But men have done what? They've sought out their many devices. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to bypass the righteous standards of God and seek to do my own thing. Invent. Some say the invention. Some versions say men's schemes. I want to comply with God's way of of doing things. Amen? God's way of, of doing things. So in Romans 6, verse 1 and 2, Paul said it like this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound or increase? He's asking a question. What do you think is the answer? Yes or no? Come on. Yes or no? Come on, tell me, church. Yes or no? Gotta decide this matter. The answer is no. In fact, Paul answers his own question in verse 2. He says, May it never be. And there's an exclamation mark there. That means the man's emotion is intense. He's saying, Shall must we continue in sin just because God is gracious? The apostle responds with apostolic authority and says, May it never be. Church, I beg you not to behave unrighteously. I implore you. Not to bypass God's way of doing a thing and think you're going to get away with it. Trusting in this fact that, hey, He's always there, He's always merciful. I'll come back when I'm ready to comply. That's a very dangerous, dangerous thought pattern to have. Dangerous grounds you are on. And He says, how shall we which are, who die to sin, still live in it? If a dead man is dead, he's dead, right? You're going to get no response from him. If a dead man is lying here, you come and insult the guy. A seductress, a prostitute comes to tempt the man. A fraudster comes to tempt him to steal with him. Will the dead man respond? Why? No revelation here. He's dead, right? Paul says, same thing with you and sin. God gave you this new nature, although you have two natures in you. I'll talk more about that later. But there's a predom- the nature you feed will dominate, will thrive, right? I'm finding now the more time I spend in Bible study, the more time I spend in prayer, the more time I spend in fasting, the more time I spend with the fellowship of the saints, the more time I, I, I spend in kingdom things, I'm becoming so strong spiritually that... In times past, that particular temptation might have a potential chance with me, but now no chance. Right? Why? I'm becoming I'm dead to sin. Right? Dead to sin. Okay? Dead to sin. Now, you must be dead to sin too. So, shall you sin that grace may abound? May it never be. Okay? In verse 14 and 15 of the same chapter, he said this, For sin shall not master over you, not be master over you. And this I want to talk about today. Listen carefully. Don't let sin master you. You master sin. For you are not under law, but under. Think about what he's saying. He's saying sin shall not be your master by the very fact that you are in a grace economy. And if you are under grace, the grace of God will empower you not to sin. Right? 
So listen to me very carefully. Grace is not license to sin. In grace, liberty, listen here, everyone say liberty. The fact that you are free in Christ, liberty is not license to sin. Paul even says, now that you are free in Christ, don't abuse your liberty. Don't take chances. Right? In grace, there is government. And when I use the word government, I'm using it in the sense of if someone is governable, means they are disciplined, they know how to re they know restraint, they know how to curb and curtail passions, ambitions, emotions. Grace does not absolve you from governance. Grace teaches you governance. Repeat after me, in grace, there is government. Right? So the, ap the opposite of governance or the lack of governance is equated to lawlessness. If you have no government, there's no law, so everybody does what's right in his own eyes, like in the book of, of Judges. Okay? So it makes sense then. I'll, I will teach the next two scriptures more thoroughly later. But I need to just quote them now because it bears reference to what I'm saying. It is said of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, that he loved righteousness, but he hated lawlessness. Lawless means I'm without law. I can do what I want to, but the opposite of that is righteousness. So in righteousness in which grace sits, the grace of God will teach you good government. Amen? It will teach you how to deny ungodliness, etc. Okay? Now Jude 4, we looked at this last week. I don't want to go there, but let me just quote it. Jude says there are some men, Jude chapter 4, they take the grace of God, and what do they do to the grace of God? They... Keyword here, turn. This word turn means pervert, alter intent, alter focus. Turn the very intent for which the thing is designed. Some men can take grace and turn it into licentiousness. Licentiousness, an easy way to remember what it means is license to sin, license for unrighteousness. King James sometimes uses the word lasciviousness, right? And it has to do with sexual sin. Mostly has to do with sexual perversion. I'm going to do a very, very special teaching shortly. In the next two or three weeks, I'm not sure when the Holy Ghost will lead me to do this. But I am shocked, for example, of how many men are beset by and women pornography. And it's happening in the church. It's happening in leaders. I'm shocked by how much sin is sexual. Shocked by what percentage the departure away from righteousness has got to do with sexual orientation, sexual perversion. And the Lord spoke to me in the color about this. And I started jotting down a few thoughts in punching into my computer. The Lord said to develop this and teach it not only locally but globally. Because this, and I did some shocking statistics, some research, it's amazing. If anything, I want to appeal to this house, you must be sexually pure. Paul said to Timothy, keep yourself pure. Father saying to a son, keep yourself. Certain things you must do for yourself. Keep yourself pure. Why did David commit adultery with Bathsheba? 
says because it was a time when kings went to war. So what was he doing at home? He's not focused on purpose. And one day walking on his wall, his rooftop, he saw a bathe from where he was positioned. And she was the most beautiful lady, the scripture says. And lust in David's heart got a hold of him. And although he loved God, the enemy found a weakness and compromised his righteousness. Right? He should have built his parapet wall, Dr. Segi said. On his rooftop, he should have taken measures to increase the height of his wall so that he can't see into other people's bathing areas. Why was, I'm thinking, David, you should have been more, uh, what's the word? Proactive. You should have been, if you, by walking on your rooftop, know that you have clear sight of someone's bathing area, surely, bro, surely, 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 I say unto you, <laughs> verily, verily, David, I say unto thee, build a parapet wall. Listen carefully. Don't wait for the hour in which you are tempted to negotiate with the temptation. You take steps now to prevent your need to deal with it. Yes, some things, occasions you can't help, you can't control. They just present themselves to you. But I'm saying, don't fall where you don't have to fall. Don't give, if you're a man, don't give a single lady a lift in your car if you don't have to. Don't do it. Just erect the parapet wall. Protect yourself. So if, if any time the temptation presents itself, you've already taken measures. What did Paul say to Timothy? Flee youthful lusts. Well, Timothy was a youth, at least 30 years old, they say Timothy was. So Paul recognized in my son there's a lust. Think about this. Paul recognized potential for lust in Timothy. Not so. Otherwise he wouldn't have said, my, my son, whom I love, my, 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 my equally sold son. The one that's got pure motive. He says, please, bro. Please, my son, run. Be like Joseph and Balega. Kick down. Remove yourself physically from the environment. What did Joseph do? Did Joseph try to reason with Potiphar's wife? Let's sit down at the table, my dear. And let me explain to you why I cannot sleep with you. Did he say that? You see, he realized this thing is... Listen carefully. Who's strong spiritually? Anybody? Hi, oh, we church. <laughs> no, we are strong to some degree. But you know what the Bible says? Let no man thinks, when a man thinks he is strong, he must beware. Why? Lest he falls. So, as, listen, as strong as I think I am, if I'm presented in a situation where there's a potential for me to commit adultery, I won't stay and say, well, they must try. Yeah, me, I'm strong. Let them come. Bring it on. Seduce all you want. No, I'm not going to encounter that devil. I'll say, bye-bye, dear. <laughs> I'm gone. I'm taking my coat with me too. <laughs> Joseph left the coat. That got him into serious trouble. You see, the, the spirit that is intended to discredit you will set you up to entrap you. Joseph should have taken that coat. Oh, by the way, all of Joseph's coats got him to serious trouble wherever the man was. That mantle, that, that anointing on his life, just set him up for test after test. Me, I'm taking my coat. Lord, I'm taking, I'm leaving no coats anywhere. Right? Jen, Balega, kick down, bro. Don't say, let's, let's see. How strong me, I'm a Daniel, I can, 
You know, even Daniel. Daniel says, the book of Daniel says, and Daniel did what? Resolved in his, what verse is that? Daniel 1 somewhere. Put it up, Daniel 1, it's a beautiful verse. Daniel resolved in his heart. I like this. Made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choices food. Just stop there. Look at the New King James or King James. Everyone say he made up his mind. Right? Tell your neighbor, you must make up your mind. Look at the, King, the New King James says he purposed in his heart. Listen carefully. This is Daniel. He's saying, and I'll talk about this next week. Listen, you, this thing is progressively unfolding in my spirit. Daniel said, I will not defile myself by eating of the king's meats. So guess what? When the offer was made to him, yes, king's meats. Guess what the offer met within Daniel? A made up mind already. Daniel did not process in his mentality what to do when the temptation was presented. He decided beforehand his position before he encountered the temptation. So the temptation met in Daniel a very firm purpose that the temptation had no chance against the intent within a man. Yeah? Everyone say resolve. Come on, say have, have resolution. You've got to resolve not to fall. Resolve not to obey. Amen? We'll talk more about that in the coming, in the coming weeks. Right? And then I looked at Titus 2 verse 11, which says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to do what? To deny ungodliness. Look to verse 11 again. I'm going to show you something. Everyone say the grace of God. Say salvation to all men. Grace is designed, like Sean said, to bring salvation to all men, both past, present, and and future. And the, the effect of this in verse 12 is the following. Instructing us to do what? To say no. Deny means say no. Deny ungodliness and worldly desires. And then to live sensibly, righteously, in the, and godly in the present age. Grace does two things. It teaches you what to deny. To say no to. And it teaches you what to pursue. To follow two things you must see here. What to say no to and what to embrace. If you don't deny ungodliness and worldly pleasures or desires, you will not live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this, in this present age. Okay? And I told you last week about sensible living. Everyone say sensible living. Moderation. Remember moderation? Right? Any form of excess is a potential, leads to potential unrighteousness. Right? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me. I'm talking King James, sorry. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful unto me. Watch, but I will not be brought under the power of, of any. Right? Look at the same text in the NASB. So all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. 
verse 23, same chapter, uh, sorry, verse chapter 10, verse 23 of 1 Corinthians says, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things do what? Edify. So, the argument that I hear people say is, it's not sin. It won't hurt me. Nowhere can you prove in the scripture that that thinking or that mentality or that behavior or that focus or that ambition is sin. Therefore, it's innocent and cannot harm me. No, it can. Just like the sin can. Something that's not sin can be a weight. Therefore, lay aside the sin and the weight that easily trips you up. Right? Something that's not sin can definitely, you see, it could be lawful, but not profitable. It could be lawful, but not edifying spiritually. It could be lawful, but not profitable. And you must not, in the previous verse says, be mastered or come under. Listen carefully. Paul is arguing, do not come under the mastery of something you cannot classify as sin. Yet its effect in your life will be just as sin. Because it will never edify you and will detract you away from the grace of God. Amen? It's soccer World Cup fever right now. I'm going to remind the brethren. Soccer will pass away. But the word of the Lord will endure forever. I was thinking, there are some guys following every game. Right? I'm also interested in the game. I want to see the outcome. Track it as far as I can. But I will never let that man-made sport rival the place of my God. That thing will never be. I say, you TV, you game, your whole FIFA, you fall down and you bow to my Lord. Yeah? I'm not going to let a game and a World Cup sports event Take me away from prayer. Take me away from a church meeting. Take me away from pursuing kingdom agenda. I'm at pains now because when I'm in Tanzania, I don't think they have internet there. Hallelujah. I'm in serious trouble. No sports. But why do I live as long as purpose of the Lord is accomplished? That's my meat. That's my food. If you can spend 10 minutes of each game praying, do it 60 times. I'm just saying 10% of every game you're going to watch. Watch all. Watch. Go for it. Watch it. But just give a tithe, 10%. Just tithe of each game. Say 90 minutes of my time for 60 games is going to be wasted by supporting something temporal. Right? So let me tithe. <laughs> Pray. And let me just say, please, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't walk out here and say, Randall said we can't watch games. I'll be watching while you will not be watching. Let me tell you. I'll be tracking, especially near the end. Right? Especially near the end, I'll be tracking. Because I like, I like the game. I like the old spirit. I like what's happening. All I'm saying is, it's not sin, but it could entrap you if you're not careful. If it takes God's place um, within, within your world and takes, away, takes you away from what I would like you to do, and I want you to send your suggestions to me on the church WhatsApp group. I don't want to go through this. I listed a few of my own. List and send the suggestion to me. I will compile a list for the church. Anything you think lawful, in other words, permissible, but not profitable. Acceptable, applaudable, but no benefit, no edification. Okay? 
And the thing may not be wrong, but may take you away from a particular thing uh, in God. So it could be applaudable, allowable, but it's not advantageous. I just wrote here, what is permissible might not be profitable. What is allowable might not be advantageous. What is condoned might not be convenient. What can be applauded might not be appropriate. Right? So you've got you to be careful about what you um, permit, etc. Okay? Think about it. Will anybody, can you applaud me for counseling? Anybody? Do you think counseling is necessary? Yes? So if I counsel a young female in my office, and she's got a serious problem that warrants counsel, is it permissible? Is it, is it, is it okay? Yes. But not suggested. Unwise. A good thing, but an unwise thing to engage. Yeah. So I'm saying, don't just be fooled by the goodness or the rightness or the innocence of the thing. You watch yourself. So you don't fall in areas that you do not have to fall in. Amen. Do not fall in areas that you do not have to fall in. Okay. Now, please um, t- take this down, but I won't have time to read it. It's Hebrews chapter 12 from verses 4 to 17. In the Bible study, uh, two weeks ago on Wednesday, we looked at the whole passage. And I want to encourage you to consult that teaching on the website. That's part three in the series. Okay? But if you look at Hebrews 12, and we say that, that God administrates discipline so we can share in His holiness, and we, the outcome will be the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Whoever the Lord loves, what does He do? He disciplines. Why? It says... So that the outcome will be the peaceful fruit of of righteousness. And the word of the Lord disciplines us. So that the outcome in our lives will be righteousness, like I said, in which grace can sit well. Now we stopped around about verse 11. If you carry on reading from verse 14 onwards, Hebrews 12. Paul continues the thread and he says, pursue peace with all men and what? And? sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Some versions say holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In one of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 6, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see the Lord. So the condition of your heart affects the state of your eyes. If your heart is pure, your eyes have prophetic sight. You see divine things. An impure heart blocks prophetic vision. An impure heart blocks sight of God, sight of His kingdom, new things in God. It's very, very important to have the heart-eye connection down. How many of you are seeing more? Yeah, I definitely am. Since we started the series, in fact, since the Pastor Thalmo started, I've been tracking. My sight of things in Scripture is just... Boom! God says, well, now I can show you this, because now you're more ready than you were last year. (gasps) Boom! You want to see things? Change the state of your heart to one of purity. Let me just say this. You can study all you want to. If your heart's impure, you're not going to see anything. You can listen to words, powerful revelations. You can, if the state of your heart's impure, nothing's going to happen. God gives sight to the eye of the heart that is pure. 
So we pursue peace with all men and sanctification, without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 15 says the following. See to it. Everyone say, see to it. No one comes short of what? Say grace. So he speaks about righteous living and sanctification in the previous verse. And he talks about, hey, if you don't do this, what are you going to come so close to but come short of? Grace. Have you ever came so close to something and not touch it? Like Moses came to the promised land, saw it, but could not enter. Right? The, the man that was lame from birth in Acts 3, at the gate, beautiful, was blamed from birth. Where did he sit? At the gate of the temple, right there, unable to proceed in. When Jesus, Peter and James healed him, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. What does the Bible say? Where was he found? And he was found in the temple. It's bad when you are so close to a thing, unable to access it. This verse tells me, go back to verse 14. Listen, church. This verse tells me, I must pursue peace with all men. Don't be divisive. Don't uh, be the reason for relational tension between people. Uh, seek to always be covenantal. Seek to always be a relationship builder. I do my best at this with other pastors and with other my friends in particular. And sanctification, which is an ongoing work of practical righteousness. Sanctification means I'm consistently washed by the Holy Spirit and the Word on a consistent basis. If I don't have that, I'm not going to see the Lord. And then look at the next verse. Then Paul suddenly says, see to it. Now if the Bible says see to it, what must you do? See to it. Make sure, in other words, Paul, is, uh, Paul, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, by the way. Nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. So you'll hear me say in my messages, whenever I reference the author, I'll say the writer of the book of Hebrews. I won't say Paul. It's not conclusive that he did. A lot of people feel it was Timothy's book. In any case, that's just conjecture. So the writer of the book of Hebrews says, see to it, no one comes? Short. Remember Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen what? Short of what? Glory, right? So sin makes you fall short of glory, not pursuing sanctification makes you fall short of grace. And what do you need to reign in life? Come on. Grace. But what is grace looking for? The previous verse says, hey guys, sanctify yourselves. Otherwise, no one is seeing God yet. And they make sure. You know, it, 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 it pains my heart. We did so much teaching on grace. I think the longest series we did in this church Look at my website. You look at all the titles. Grace, 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 grace. Various things about grace, yeah? Grace is so much. But it's not entirely operative in many people's lives. I think the missing thing was righteousness. Now the same. God is saying, God said to me, my son, you've taught well. I'll be honest with you. I heard the Lord say. He said, well done, you've taught well on my grace. Now teach the conduit in which that will sit. Now do it. And let me just say this. You're going to see all those teachings come alive. You're going to see the outcome of all the hard work in doctrine that we have, have labored in. Amen? So are we going to be pure, church? Yes? Are we going to be pure? Come on. Are we going to be pure? Keep yourself pure. Don't. Monday morning, tonight, whenever temptation faces you, 
I pray that when you see the thing, the temptation, for example, to lie, may this ring in your mind. May the Holy Ghost tell you, grace needs to reign through righteousness. Oh, my son, don't do that. Jeremy, don't go there. May you hear this in your mind and say, don't do that. Don't fall. Don't think it's innocuous, innocent. I will do it. Come back and repent. Come back to church next week and everything is, hey, presto, hey, sarah, sarah. We're fine. No, 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 no. Grace needs a container. Grace needs a conduit. It's called righteousness. And watch. See that no root? In specific application, the writer of the book of Hebrews hits bitterness. He could have selected anything, could have selected immoral behavior, whichever, which he does, but he, he hits bitterness springing up, causes what? Trouble and thereby many be defiled. There's a teaching on my website called Grace Frust Bitterness Frustrates Grace. Please listen to it. I won't have time to teach that here. I want to make a point because of time. Verse 16, that there be no what? Immoral. So righteousness has got to do with morality. That's how it will express itself. There be no immoral or godless, lawless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. And he, he warrants separate study on his own. You know what the Bible says in the next verse 4? You know that afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected because he found no room or place for repentance, though he sought for it carefully with, with tears. The thought is this. It is possible to go past a place and not find it again. Go past a place and that place is called repentance. Only afterwards it hit him how irresponsible he was to trade firstborn birthright for a bowl of soup to temporarily satisfy the craving of his flesh. Now let me warn you. He was hungry. Not so. He was a hunter-gatherer. He was a man of the field, a man of the earth, hunting and chasing. He comes back tired from one expedition. Jacob, his brother, is cooking a pot of lentils, like soup, on an open fire. Comes to his brew and says, how's, it? how's your day? How's a child there? <laughs> you know how they talk in Hebrew? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't ask me for the Hebrew word for chow. Okay. I'm, a man is battling. You know, I've been whole day, feeling weak. So what does Jacob, what does Jacob's name mean? Deceiver, conniver. He's the bargainer, the negotiator. Anything. He, he, Jacob's mind thinks like this. What can I get out of this one? How can I manipulate circumstances to make headway? Yes, acting unrighteously, by the way. So Jacob says to me, no problem. Have my soup if you give me your birthright. You firstborn, I'm second. But trade that privilege with me and have the soup. You know what the Bible says? If you read the account of this in Genesis, you know what the Bible says that Esau, Esau's mind in reference to his birthright was? It says, and Esau despised his birthright. And he traded it, listen carefully. So think about it. The man takes the pot of soup, right, and he eats it. Based upon how the Bible describes how hungry he was, I think it took like a minute. And she gone. One minute of, of physical gratification traded an eternal principle of firstborn status in the man. And listen to me. When time came for who gets the blessing from 
Isaac, their father, Jacob realized, I have every right to seek it. So my brother's hairy, I'm smooth skin, so I'll kill an animal and put hair on me and pretend to be him. Go to my father and say, it's me, Esau. He still deceives his father. His father blesses him, birthright blessing. Esau runs in. Jacob's gone. He, he, he runs away. He knows the guy will be angry, right? He comes in and Esau asks his father, bless me. Jacob says, uh, uh, Isaac says, I've blessed your brother already. And there's no way I can retract it. Then the Bible says this verse. Everyone say he sorted with tears. I'm going to change his mind about an act that he can't reverse beyond a certain point. Let me just say this, brethren. Don't think you can carry on doing what you're doing and think there will be no repercussions. God is patient with you. God is long-suffering. Who's, who's, I'm thankful for the patience of God. Not so. Who's thankful for God is patient? Who's grateful God never gave up on you? But I'm saying... Based upon everything we have heard, I'm saying, don't take His grace for granted. Don't say, I'll carry on sinning so that grace will always abound. There's a point beyond which you might go and never find again. You know? Never find again. David's legacy in 2 Samuel, I think the last chapter, which speaks, these are the last words of David, it says. It says he was a man after God's own heart in all his ways. He pleased the Lord, comma, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah is Bathsheba's husband that he had assassinated so he can marry her. Let there not be an except moment in our lives. Yes, we've all failed God. But I'm saying let's not fail him unnecessarily going forward. Yeah? Let's not further bring to bear upon ourselves any unnecessary hiccup, hindrance in our path towards our growth and our destiny in the Lord. Amen. Let me remind you of Proverbs, what's it, 22.11? Or is it 11.22? He who has purity of hearts and he will ask purity of heart. Everyone say purity of heart. And then as a result of the state of the heart, the other version says, your eyes see. This one says, your speech will be what? Full of grace. So to a pure heart, grace comes, and God makes influential people your friend. The king will be your friend. Hmm? King will be your friend. Amen. Lift your hands to the Lord. Just bring your life before God. Let's lift our hands to Him and say, God, help me. God, help me. If any man thinks he's strong, must beware lest he falls. So you have to be strong in the Lord and not in your own strength. Don't boast and say, I will never fall there. I'll never fall. Don't, don't even utter those words. Because the moment you utter it, you set up your test. Just quietly live your life in God. Say, God, not only by your grace. I'm going to rely on your grace completely. Yes, I will take measures to protect myself at all costs. Right? If you're battling with pornography... Place a security system on your internet usage. You can do that, by the way. Get a trusted party. Give the password to somebody else. So it's impossible. You do whatever you have to do. Say, I'm going to keep myself pure. Amen. I, I trust that.
that you were challenged by this. And let me encourage you. You will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Grace will attend you and grace will be on your lips and kings will be your friend. Amen. Blessing of the Lord will abound more and more in your life. May the grace of God be with you. May God keep you in all your ways. May righteousness attend you at every level. May the Lord God be a sun and a shield to you. May he give you both grace and glory. May the Lord our God withhold no good thing from you because you walk uprightly before him. May like Noah you find grace in the eyes of the Lord because like him you are a righteous man in your generation. May you love righteousness. May you hunger. May you thirst after it for the kingdom of God is righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Ghost and if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness all other things will be added to you the path of the righteous is like the dawn of a new day Proverbs 4 18 says it shines brighter and brighter to the coming of the full day I declare and prophesy of your church May your path shine brighter and brighter to the coming of the full day. May your path be full of light, illumination, life and light be your portion. In Jesus' mighty name. I bless you with great grace. May the grace of our Lord be with you always and your family. May he keep you. May you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might all the days of your life. Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure and do not partake in the sins of others. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen.